After beginning his career in finance, Dr. Travis Perry quickly realized there was not enough support and conversation about normalizing a healthy work-life balance. Now, as an author, professor, and spokesperson on work-life balance, Dr. Perry joins us in discussion about how students can jumpstart this balance in their prospective careers, the myth of multitasking, and how to build better productivity and trust in our work and lifestyle. So to get started, I guess, um, to begin with some of your background, what inspired you to become a work-life balance professional, especially in the business and finance uh, uh, workplace? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I started off as a financial advisor. I found myself really running my own business. And so I relate a lot to business owners, to entrepreneurs. While I had, you know, some support as a financial advisor as I began, it really was a very loose support. There's background, uh, you know, back office people, assistants that can help me. Um, but a lot of time I was marketing myself. I was trying to create my own sales, um, you know, processes and customer service processes. And as I was doing those things, I realized, man, I, I really am getting carried away with, you know, service or marketing or one thing at a time to the point that um, I, I found myself working too much. And in fact, in the financial industry, financial planning industry, uh, they almost tell you, hey, you got to work nights, weekends for the first five years of your life, kind of kiss your wife and family goodbye, and you really need to be devoted. Mm -hmm. And after this time period, you know, you're going to have residual income, the business will be built, you'll have a great practice, you can then start taking more time for your family. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily sold, but I could see how people fall into that workaholic trap. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was going to figure out a better way. I think that's where, where it started with me is uh, Nancy is trying to figure out how can I do this in a better way? Um, and that's when I got trained on how to manage my time better, how to you know, balance the work and life and really started my journey. Awesome. Yeah. So you talked about how like you're practically managing your own business, but how did, what were some tips you learned to help like utilize the skills of other people or maybe like in order to build your team for a better work life for everyone? Yeah, great. So as a financial advisor, I realized really fast, even as an intern, I couldn't do everything, nor did I want to. There's paperwork and there's other things that other people get excited about doing that my skill set. And so I, at the very beginning, tapped into other resources there at the office um, and started to share an assistant. And at one point hired, you know, my very first employee. Uh, it was a shared employee of, a, of another advisor. And, you know, I had five hours of his time per week type of thing. And eventually I had three people working for me in part-time, full-time positions. And I built a team. Um, that really allowed me to do the things that I wanted to do. I was face-to-face -face with clients. They were the ones following up, scheduling appointments, doing the paperwork, um, doing the things that, again, were not my highest priority, nor did I enjoy doing those things. I call this your sweet spot um, and encourage other advisors, professionals, business owners, find what that sweet spot is. Find those four or five activities that if you just did those every day, you'd love being at work and that are productive for you. Mm 
-hmm. And once you get in that mode of just doing that, you outsource, delegate, or delete the things that don't really belong. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's really good advice. So did you find that um, when you were going to school in the academic setting, um, did, did you feel as though these were common skills um, discussed, like when you were going into finance at school? Not, not at all. <laughs> um, I, I think this, you know, in academia in general, I, now, I, now I have a PhD and I can understand it from a different viewpoint, but academia in general is very siloed. It's very much, this is my specialty, that's their specialty. This is mine, this is theirs. And you do have colleges and you have um, schools of thought, a very similar thought, but no one is really working together to make sure that you're doing everything except for maybe a college counselor. And even then, um, sometimes they're disconnected. They're, they're wanting you to get into a program and follow through with that. Then you have counselors in that, in that specific program. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really kind of learned this school of hard knocks and faculty, and, and in fact, came across a guy who had also done the same thing. He graduated, he was an entrepreneur, and he started working with um, a gentleman and his company, uh, Michael Gerber, and he wrote the book, The E-Myth. It's all about time management and work-life balance and things, and he started to train me. His name was Dave Crenshaw. So I consider myself the grandson of Michael Gerber. <laughs> Um, at least professionally. And so a lot of things that I had to do was usually outside of, of academia. Interestingly enough, now that I've learned what I've learned, I have you know created my own course on work-life balance. Um, I actually have incorporated that in my academic teaching um, and in some of the courses that I've taught, but now professionally back to business owners and financial planners in the industry. Mm -hmm. So what were some specific courses? Uh, so you're a professor as well? Or I was. I've, I've been an adjunct professor, full-time professor at various universities, Utah State, Utah Valley, now Texas State, and, and no longer teach. I don't have the time for it, right? Uh, uh, but, you know, I found that I, I enjoyed making that a part of, you know, say, family finance classes. Mm -hmm. Did you notice a particular difference in the mindset of your students compared to when you were a student? Or do you think that they are a bit more mindful about work life? Uh, good question, good question. I, I think now, I mean, 20 years ago, right? When I was, <laughs> um, you know, when I was, when I began my first courses, let's say at a junior college in 1998 in Moorpark, California, when I was there, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have the devices that quite honestly um, have made our lives more comfortable, but have also made it more distracting. I didn't have the distractions. I still have it. I have my paper planner, like the Franklin planner that everybody used to have. And I carry that around in my first college, you know, college year. Um, and it was just much different. You know, we still had pagers, for Pete's sake, we didn't even have cell phones at that point. Um, you know, email was just being introduced. So I think in one aspect, the desire to, by students nowadays, to enjoy, to experience, you know, millennials, generation X, Yers, um, they want to experience and enjoy the world has a different flavor of balance. And so people might say, well, Travis, we don't have the work-life balance problem. 
that there was 20 years ago. I agree that it, it's just in a different way. The different way now is all the distraction, keeping your focus, being in the moment um, and helping people really be productive that way so that when they're at work, they're not constantly multitasking, texting, being on social media when they should be working type of thing and then wasting time at work. Um, I can tell you that being a, a professor, this I found to be totally different where as a student, we didn't have a ton of distractions. Now as a professor teaching these students, texting, social media in, you know, in class with laptops has brought a whole new challenge that I think if we don't get that figured out by the time you get to the workplace as a business owner, financial professional is really going to um, cost you a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. And would you say, especially during the coronavirus, these have only been like heightened with <laughs> some of these distractions being at home? Yes, ab absolutely. Because if you don't have these skills, you know, in public mm -hmm. where, you know, people aren't ashamed of maybe texting while they're talking to somebody else, <laughs> you know, being at home in an environment where no one might be watching, um, you know, how, how well do people react now all of a sudden all classes online? Um, when I first was, I've been teaching classes online. I've been doing um, professional development for, you know, business owners, financial professionals for years on Zoom, Adobe Connect, other platforms. But I had a student one time in an online um, situation where she wasn't showing up to do her homework. She wasn't submitting anything. So about a couple of weeks in, I actually gave her a phone call and found out that, you know, she's like, oh yeah, I've got five online classes. I can do that whenever I want, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh no, you can't, little Miss Freshman. Um, you're gonna fail all of those classes. And sure enough, uh, she failed out of the class. She didn't, because she didn't have a schedule. She didn't manage her time. She wasn't productive. And here she was in the first semester away from college taking five online courses. Um, which is kind of now what I what I look at now during COVID, where all of a sudden we're used to being on campus with a teacher, with a TA, with support, with people. Now it's technology and trying to get through those barriers to get help, get support with maybe teachers who have checked out themselves, who are multitasking themselves, I think has brought in a totally different challenge to the to the student learning. Yeah. So how exactly do you feel about multitasking itself? Because I feel as though sometimes it's like, it's seen as like the only thing you can do. And then sometimes they're saying, no, you should monotask. Like, how does that fit in with work-life <laughs> balance? Great question. Great question. So Dave Crenshaw, who I learned a lot from, has a book called The Myth of Multitasking. And it truly is a myth. However, we have to understand what is the definition? Psychologists um, talk about the actual definition of what is multitasking we multitasking isn't a true term it's actually switch tasking see when you're doing something of low brain power we can do that no problem like i could walk and have this conversation with you mm -hmm. that, that that's not true multitasking that mm -hmm. that is a low level brain power activity something we've learned since we were nine months old 12 months old whatever to walk um, and then have a conversation now if I was trying to have this conversation with you, but I was writing a text to a friend, um, I, I wouldn't be able to do it because my brain power is trying to respond to you and listen. Mm -hmm. And if I took a moment to text him, it's likely that I would go back to you and be like, wait, no, wait, what are we talking about? Right? Because mm -hmm. the brain power is different. 
when people try to type an email and they're halfway through and they get interrupted by a phone call and they answer the phone call, they're actually switching from one task to another. And when they switch task, they go over to this other task. Oh, yeah. Hello, Mr. Customer. Uh, yeah, I want to help you with your portfolio, blah, blah, blah. They look that up when they're done. They go back to the email. Now they switched back to that other task. So the time that it takes to switch from one task to the other is what's being lost. And all of those switches that are happening all, all the time is what's actually causing us to be distracted and not focused. Um, I would like to do this with my students at school. I would ask them, okay, I, those of you that have your laptops out, how many tabs on your browser are open right now? <laughs> how many tabs? And it's like, yeah, 50, 40. I had a guy who I was coaching one time, 200 tabs. Bro. I don't know how that's possible. Oh. I, I have no idea. But I took a screenshot of it because I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, this is the world that we live in now is how many, how many notifications, how many tabs do we have open? And I think quite honestly, some of that is because we try to make ourselves feel important or busy, or maybe we stress ourselves out to fill in some of that void of, of self-worth, self-esteem. Um, uh, and, and so there's some psychological issues underneath it, but the reality is we don't actually multitask. And if we try, we don't do it very well. So mm -hmm. instead we switch task and that costs a lot of time. Um, so the question really isn't, can we multitask or can we not? It's what's the, what's the quality? Is this high level brain power or low level brain power? Make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. So what are some like um, strategies or uh, tips that you would suggest for students to start? now I guess like even like close out the 200 tabs like that's a good place to start I guess like and would you say that some of those skills in the college setting work for the work setting as well 100% these are transferable skills um why we could have the debate about you know do we go to school to get a job or whatnot I'm not going to go there but I will tell you there are transferable skills here and the first one is just have an ideal calendar have a calendar that has your schedule built out learning online or not have time where you study have time where you're actually doing uh, the material going through the assignments and plot that out in any um, career you're gonna have to know how to manage that time so when when uh, employers are saying must be willing to multitask what they really mean is must be able to manage time well mm -hmm. right uh, they, they don't know what must be willing to multitask really means and so we don't fault them but however it's, it's this idea of being a productive, um, you know, time manager. And I believe that's what, that's what gives us the, the edge of balancing our time. So if you have a great ideal calendar that's built on what you need to accomplish and what, what you need to, to do for your term, um, then if you look at the world of business, most of business has quarters, quarterly reports, quarterly deadlines, and they work on an annual system, much like the college system, sort of, with semesters and you know the year. Um, and so you need to be able to to be able to work on those deadlines and have those projects and get them done. Unfortunately, what a lot of students do is they think, hey, yeah, yeah, that's twelve weeks out or sixteen weeks out or whatever. I can get that done, and they they build up and they let these projects delay instead of getting started and working on it a little bit at a time throughout the semester. Mm -hmm. 
Would you say there's ever a, um, so I guess a lot of students love using the term uh, procrastinate. <laughs> Would you say procrastinating is ever, I guess, effective? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't think of a single time where procrastination is effective. In fact, my, my son and my daughter are taking um, high school classes online. And, and my daughter, my oldest daughter is 17. She's taking college, uh, you know, dual enrollment classes. And, you know, they ask me, well, dad, how do I study? What are the best ways to study? I, ha I handle this and I tackle this usually in every single course I've ever taught at university level. And that is don't cram, don't procrastinate. Because the way that our brain works is we're not gonna remember those things we try to cram the night before. It's never truly learned. Um, you might be able to cram and create a study sheet the night before, but that's not truly going to help you um, unless you have a photographic memory and you can take a picture of it and then walk into your you know, testing area and download every image that you have in your brain. Now, trust me, I've tried to do this. And the best thing that works for me is throughout the semester is to remember those things and, and get it to learn, you know, um, commit it to memory over time associate terms with certain things, especially if you're learning a nat and fizz, right? Or, you know, things that require a lot of memorization. Use flashcards, do all those old school technology things. And actually, we've, psychologists have found that you do better writing down in a notebook with pen or paper in different colors than you'd ever do with typing it out. It has something to do with how we write and how that connects us to our brain. That said, there's lots of great other tips. Like you could record if you have permission, um, an actual lecture, you can watch it back or listen to it again. I would do that a lot. I would listen to lectures again in audio. So there's lots of little techniques, but over time, the idea is that you commit those things to long-term memory. So when you're in the moment and you're able to then regurgitate for a test or quiz or writing assignment that you have it there. Um, however, I'll add a caveat that if before you, you know, a couple of weeks before the test or an exam or something, if you can create a cheat sheet and you write it out in your mind and, you know, write it down on paper that you can commit that to memory. Um, when you step into that testing center, one of the best things I've ever done is as soon as time begins, take out a scratch piece of paper and write down every equation, every term, everything you remember on that, on that cheat sheet, because now it's your cheat sheet. And you didn't have to bring it in. You didn't, you didn't actually cheat. You brought it in and it's ready for you. It's helped me on my um, exams to become a financial advisor. It's mm -hmm. helped me for, you know, basically every test I've taken once I figured out that system. Yeah, that's very clever. <laughs> yeah. So for students, I know, especially um, the past couple semesters, I've always like with college, I've always felt like I never know when to stop working. Sometimes it feels like the task is never done. And like knowing like, no, I need to do, I need to step back and actually do something like fun or creative or like spend time with family and friends. How would you, um, what would you suggest students and anyone um, to handling these kind of feelings of guilt, I guess, and knowing when to take a step back? That's a good way to phrase it, because it really is kind of a guilty feeling, right? Yeah. Um, so in my book, uh, Achieving Balance, um, I actually talk about, um, you know, being able to create boundaries. These boundaries need to be set, because if you don't get it to it now, when you're in the workplace, 
and you don't have boundaries, you're that person that's showing up at four in the morning and not leaving till, you know, you know, midnight, getting two or three hours of sleep, you're going to kill yourself. You're, you're going to really destroy yourself. I find it very interesting with financial advisors, financial professionals, that they tend to um, attach to their clients as like, hey, these, my clients, they're my babies. Like, and an entrepreneur, business owner might look at their businesses. This is my idea. This is my baby. And so with that, they tend to monitor their clients, their business activity in a very similar way, kind of in this nurturing way that, that creates an attachment. Mm -hmm. And so when they go on vacation, they have a hard time not saying, well, I'm not at work. My employees are, but I'm not, right? And they have a little bit of guilt. So um, first off, as a student, get used to good enough. When is it project is good enough? You have to ask yourself that, is this good enough? And let it go, okay? A lot of people become perfectionists or are perfectionists because of fear. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of what someone will say or if they will fail. Really those two, fear of success, fear of failure, all right? So that's kind of ingrained in a lot of students, unfortunately. But if you can learn to let go of that fear by saying this is good enough and turn it in, you're gonna do great. In fact, if you turn it in early versus turning it right at the end, you, you have time to review it or whatever. Um, so you can make sure that it's, it's good enough and maybe do it once over um, or ask somebody else to look at it if they can. In the workplace, you've got to be able to, to create those boundaries and, and uh, enjoy life outside of work so that you are excited to leave work. Otherwise, you can become a workaholic. And that's really why I got started on this project of writing the book, Achieving Balance, because I found that business owners, financial professionals, they become, you know, terrible workaholics. They can't break away. And it's almost, maybe it is, Nancy, maybe it is that connection with how they learn to, to learn in the, in the academy mm -hmm. while they're never able really to break free from it, never really let go of a project, never really let go of a grade. Uh, but there's got to be a place where you got to set that boundary, say enough's enough. I need to enjoy my social life. I need to enjoy family time. And when you get into the workplace, have that ideal calendar scheduled and be able to enjoy life outside so that you're fresh, you're ready, and you can come back and be focused at work. Yeah, so you recently uh, published a book you mentioned, Achieving Balance. Could you talk about a bit of the, um, its background and how you came around the topic of balance? <laughs> Yeah, when I started to learn about time management, um, I actually started training with Dave Crenshaw and helping him to take his training to other business owners and found that that training on productivity, time management was good. However, um, some of my clients that I was training um, were actually becoming so productive, uh, but with that 75 hour mentality of, you know, <laughs> now I can do what I used to be able to do in 40 hours that took me 75. And I had one client who was just killing it in the mortgage space. And he started a, a business with his, his friend who just, they found their niche. They were rolling in the dough. But after I taught him how to be more productive, he turned to me as like, Travis, what's to prevent me now from working 80 hours and being even more productive now that you taught me this. And I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? 
<laughs> I've created a monster. Um, and I was trying really hard to help those people who um, need to be more productive. And I just assumed that they would take that time and they would spend it with their family, the people they love. But I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand fear. I didn't understand a lot of these mental health issues. So I did a, a, a master's in psychology and then eventually a PhD in human development and family relations to really understand the psychology behind all this, mm -hmm. behind addiction, behind family relationships. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to give back, to basically say, this is what's working. Mm -hmm. You've got to really understand what your values and goals are and your priorities, have an ideal calendar, be able to hold yourself to those boundaries. And really the, the missing piece, Nancy, is having an accountability partner, someone that can help you. And I want to open up a whole can of worms because I know we're close to time. However, the can of worms I open up at the very end is talking about um, we can't can't necessarily do this alone, right? We need an accountability per, uh, person who typically is our spouse, someone without you know the ball and chain mentality can help us stay true to our ideal calendar so that we can achieve goals outside. And my dissertation was actually done on that topic, that couples who support each other and that work together actually are happier, healthier, and wealthier. You can check out more information on his website at travisperry.com. Hey, this is Nancy. Thanks for listening in today at 91.3 FM WTSR. Remember to check out more content online at WTSR.org, on the air, or on our Spotify and Captivate channels. And as always, we remind you to open your mind.